This is Collected Clan, episode 13. We've got to give our kids something to be happy about. You take the arts away, the arts is joy. The arts is happy. The arts are a way that you get the demons out. Welcome to Collected Clan, the podcast about outstanding people I've met along the way. People with interesting stories, triumphs, and ideals. People who've made their mark in the world and in my life. I'm your host, Gregory Byerline. I've met a lot of people over the years, and many people come and go. But these people are the company that you keep. Everyday people, just like you and me. In this episode, we have the second half of the conversation with my friend Bradley Ford about his career in music, our love of music and musicals, the impact of music on society through education, and so much more including what it's like to have experienced a school shooting firsthand. Be sure you listen to part one, which is episode 11, that delivered the hilarity of two scotch and bourbon-fueled friends spinning a yarn that continues into part two. As you listen to each episode, you'll hear that thread come through, which is the power of empathy and how that is formed through music. So this is part two of the two-part conversational biography. Here you go. You know, I look at the way that that our generation was raised, which was just not what we see today. And my my family, my wife's family, is is a family of a lot of adoptions. I have a nephew from Uganda. I have two nephews, or one nephew that has, uh, I'm not sure if it's Chinese. I have a niece she, who's not adopted, but she's special needs. So my, my family makeup on my wife's side is amazingly diverse through all these things. And one of my biggest thank yous to God is that my daughter, my eight-year-old, is friends. These are her cousins. And they're not, you know, not all of them are blood-related, but she, it does not matter to her. Right. Matter of fact, after John Luke, my nephew from Uganda, was adopted, one of my other sister-in-laws was going to have a baby. And I remember Izzy asking Chris, like, well, what color is he going to be, I wonder? To her, it was just a. It was <laughs> That's just all, fantastic. It was all a, a, a beautiful crapshoot of life, and she did not see the color as anything other than just a different shade. And I'll get even nerdier with you because that that's been on my mind a lot lately, just with a lot of things you you see. And I got to stop watching the news because it just pisses me off. But man, I'm gonna throw an old song at you, you know. And I was I literally had my entire playlist on one of my computers, which is like forty, fifty thousand songs on Shuffle and Colored People by DC Talk mm-hmm. came up, which I don't. I don't listen to very much Christian music. Uh, I did when I was er, you know, young, which is what got me into playing it. But since then, I, I, I can't tell you anything about it today. Not a not right. a single note. I just don't don't listen to it. I don't buy it. But that DC Talk record that came out right about the time my band was getting our record deal uh, was life changing. The the songs were amazing. Mm-hmm. It was just the it was produced really well. But that song "Colored People" came on, and I started you know, listening to the lyrics and that even that opening, pardon me, epidermis is showing. Yeah. I dove in on the lyrics like I hadn't before because there was so much going on with thinking about my daughter and, you know, the greatest showman, that scene that you brought up and thinking about her, you know, and, and the fact that we've got, you know, a nephew from Uganda and the way that she saw the world to me was so perfect. And I was like, how do, how do we lose that? It was just amazing to me that that song had 
you know, come on when I haven't heard it in years and years and years, you know, when it was something that I thought was pretty poignant with the movie, The Greatest Showman, but also just watching my eight-year-old go through life with having cousins that are from all these different kinds of races and mixed races and special needs and all those sorts of things through the glorious wonder of adoption and just wishing that everybody could grow up in a world that she gets to grow up in yes, where it's all family. Yes. It's there, there are no preconceived ideas in her head. You know, you kind of miss those days a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, and she and others can have that if we create that world. And apparently it's, it's starting not, I mean, not just with you and me, but I think there is a, a, a good swell in society that's shifting in that direction yeah, I definitely, definitely hope so. What I loved about, too, about The Greatest Showman is, whereas I, I think that music can be somewhat divisive, you know, we kind of write what we are, write what we think, write what we do, you know, in terms of songwriters and artists and things like that. But not everybody is able to use that platform in a way that crosses those boundaries. And I think the soundtrack did that really well. As did the song Colored People, which is when it when it came out and it had the same effect on me, you know, 20 years later that it did when the first time I heard it, I was just like, this is just beautifully written and shedding light on the landscape of the human soul. And I thought it was just a really well done lyric. Well, that whole album had a racial reconciliation feel to it. I mean, free at last. Yeah, I remember there was some chatter there was some talk on that song got pitched to mainstream radio and it was declined largely because it used the term colored people. Mm. I'm like, you clearly have not looked into this song and, and read the lyrics to understand the context of why he's using those words were colored people. Yeah. And we live in a tainted place. Yeah. <laughs> It's astronomically so well thought out. Any good author or writer or poet or songwriter can get you to see a picture that you're unaware of that you're even looking at through that turn of phrase. And, uh, and I think that's what struck me when that song came on randomly the other day. It was, it was just it was shocking, actually. Yeah, and that's the, the beauty of the shuffle button. It's my favorite button on any audio player that I have. Um, aside from the play button, which, you know, one would think would be the main button, but I like the shuffle aspect of it. Absolutely. I mean, I don't have 40 or 50,000 songs in my iTunes library, but I think I've got half of that. And I like to hit shuffle and let the algorithms decide what I hear because a lot of times it brings up songs or albums that... I wouldn't have necessarily thought to. I'm going to go pull up album X and listen to this. But it'll yeah. pop it up. I'm like, oh, that's fantastic. I'm going to let this song finish and then I'm going to dive into that album. Or I'm going to let it go on to a random song and it'll, you know, it'll be Metallica one song and then Beethoven the next and Garth Brooks the next and Miles Davis the next or whatever. So I just, I like the, the variety. Sometimes we're slaves by our choice. You know, you, we, we listen to the same song or the same album. I know that I am. I, I like certain movies that I like. But when you take that, the ability to choose that away from me, you know, for example, by hitting shuffle, like you said, 
it's amazing what you rediscover and what you become hip to. And I actually went through a period not too long ago where I created a playlist in my iTunes of all the travel music, of all the albums I listened to when I was touring. So for five years, I, I couldn't tell you what was on TV or what movies came out, you know, 95 to 2000. I've got no clue. Is that part of pop culture is not even in my head. I mean, I can look it up and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that. But it, it just it just it's not in my head, you know, um, to be regurgitated because I just didn't see any of it. But music especially. So like I made this really long playlist and it's all the albums and songs that I used to stick those CDs in that awful discman, you know, with the cassette adapter into the deck of the RV or van yep. or whatever we were traveling in and. Just, you know, you just kind of got used to the one hand, <laughs> you open the disc man and put the CD in and start it. But I made a playlist of all those songs. And it's funny because I still go back and listen to that playlist. And it reminds me of places and smells and times. You know, I can't listen to Veruca Salt's second record, Eight Arms to Hold You, without thinking of New Mexico, which is I bought that record and listened to it on a bus going through New Mexico. So <laughs> I can forever see and smell and hear the bus and know what New Mexico sounds like when I listen to that record. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's crazy. And you know, when we got to Southern California for the first time, I put on an Eagles CD because I knew that's where they those songs came from. And they made sense, which leads me to a girlfriend story. And I have to tell this story because it has to do with the Eagles and travel. I once dated a girl so cool my senior year of high school that I get a phone call. And this is way before cell phones. And she said, hey, I just wanted to let you know that I'm calling from a payphone. And I'm like, OK. And she's like, um, I'm literally standing on a corner in Winslow, Arizona, and there's a Ford sitting right in front of me, and I'm trying to see if a girl's going to get into it. And, and it's she such a fine sight to see. And she hung up. Oh! <laughs> it was true. She was in Winslow, and she just wanted to let me know that she was on a corner on a payphone in Winslow, Arizona. <laughs> because who is in Winslow, Arizona? You know, like right. when, when he wrote that lyric. But yeah, I, I love I love the fact that time periods can be stamped and senses can be stamped depending on the song. Yeah. Are you familiar with the Trisha Yearwood song called The Song Remembers When? Oh, yes. Man, I hadn't thought about that in a long time. That's a great song. Which is a songwriter's take on this entire conversation. Yep, and I'm glad you're bringing it up because I bet a lot of people don't know that song. Oh no, yeah, listeners, seriously, look it up. I'll I'll put a link to it in the show notes because oh, one of my favorites of hers. Yeah, yeah, that's that a great song. On a bus to St. Cloud. But my my sister messaged me the other day. Her comment was, "This reminds me of being at the beach," and that is significant because we grew up in landlocked Central Illinois, where we had a lake that was, you know, kind of like it was a dammed river, creek, something. So it was a, like an Army Corps of Engineers lake. And at some point in the building of this lake, the city planners decided to put in a beach house and bring in some sand and had a sandy beach on this lakeshore. Mm -hmm. So when you're growing up in the mid-70s in central Illinois where there's not a ton going on, what do you do for leisure time? Well, you're outside a lot and it's hot and humid in central Illinois in the summertime. 
So mom would take us to the beach. And I still hear songs every now and then that instantly take me back. Oh, that's a beach song. And I probably should create a Spotify playlist and just call it beach songs. And then really rack my brain on what would have been on the radio at the time. Because that's what was played over like a bullhorn speaker attached to a light pole stuck in the sand on this artificial beach. I mean, it was Paul McCartney and Wings. Listen to what the man says. Mm-hmm. Just that whole era. Baker Street. Oh, yeah. So anytime I hear songs like that, oh, that's a beach song. And if I explain this to Megan, and every now and then, you know, we'll hear a song like, that's a beach song. And then she knows what I'm talking about. And my sister, like this last week, sent me something. I heard, you know, song X, whatever. It reminded me of the, all the beach songs. So yeah, the song literally does remember when. It does. And it's it's funny because I have Spotify, even over my iTunes, has been a lot better for doing things like that because it's it's unlimited in, in that way when you pay for that um, subscription. And I, I remember the summer that I moved to Nashville was just a great summer for, for indie uh, rock bands, one-hit wonders, if you will, just, you know, uh, one headlight came out, you know, in 96, the summer of 96. And that was a huge song. And, and, uh, it just, it goes on and goes on and goes on and goes on. Um, how many great rock songs there were that year. And I actually created a Spotify playlist called 1996 and I have one called 1995 as well, but all That's songs, awesome. all rock songs just from that year. And whenever I listen to that, I can smell the summer that I was broke and living in a really, really scary house in Antioch when I first came to Nashville in May. And it, it brings back all those, all those sights and sounds and those memories. I did a short stint where I worked as the personal assistant for Big Kenny from Big and Rich. I was sitting on a tour bus with him outside of a place in Berry Hill, interviewing, per se, about, you know, helping him out with some stuff that he needed help with. And his first interview question was, what, what are your top five desert island albums? Not songs, albums. Albums, yes. So that really made me stop because I had a hard time picking five. But, you know, all of a sudden, then you really have to, when you're desperate enough to only pick five, you you get pretty crazy on the chopping block of what yeah. music really matters to you. You know, and some of those criteria were, had a whole lot to do with periods of my life where, where certain albums transformed me, which was just really unique being interviewed by that question. Let's take a quick break for this episode's Nonprofit Spotlight this time presented by our guest as part of our conversation. I want to deal with one that I think is a is a tad bit more local that's had a huge impact on us, my family this year, and that's an organization called Waves of Grace. Through a network of people who are fortunate enough to be able to own big, huge beach homes down on the Gulf Shores area, they are able through donations to send families on vacation for respite, you know, to to get energy, to rest. Who basically who people who are fighting cancer, they send their families away on vacation. It's incredible. Cuz A, who has the time to go on vacation when you're paying medical bills? And and they just make it easy and and Chris my wife was diagnosed with stage 3 colon cancer this last June. And so she had surgery and then she has had a really 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 long long stint of chemotherapy. And she's still not back at work, even yet today, 
Uh, we're we're getting close to a year now, and she's still not back at work because she has neuropathy really bad in her feet and her hands, and we don't know when that's going to go away. But it's it's starting to show signs, and that's it's amazing. And Waves of Grace, what they did for us in November is she was nominated by somebody to the charity, and they they reached out and they sent the whole family. We went down and we got to stay in this beautiful house on St. George Island, and she just got to put her feet in the sand, um, enjoy the sunshine. They gave us money for a rental car, plane tickets, food. It's just amazing how much different she was coming back from that seven days of being able to go away and just rest. Because no matter if you're sleeping at home, you're still surrounded by bills and you're surrounded by things that you have to do and things that worry you. And so it's an amazing thing that they will send families to spend time together. And honestly, I'd been working so much when she was sick that I was just trying to, you know, keep us above water. Yeah. And so she and I never got any time together. It's an amazing charity. And I, and, and we all know somebody who's affected by cancer. So I think it's, it's a fantastic, easy thing for people to get involved with. It's easy to donate to, uh, and for those of you that are listening, maybe you own this beautiful property that only gets used six months out of the year, and you could donate it in the off seasons. You could donate a week. It's going to be empty anyway. Donate it to a family. Let them live in your house for a week and just rest. Man, it's just a cool thing. And I, I'm so thankful for her, my wife, getting to experience that and us being able to do it together. So for what it's worth, I think I think those are the ones that mean a lot to me. Yeah, well, that that's worth a lot. I want to give a direct shout out to them. The website for them is wavesofgrace.org and there's dashes in there. So waves-of-grace.org. Please check them out, and if so led, give to them or find a way to be involved. You're going to see some wonderful things come out of that. Um, One of the specific things I wanted to talk to you about that's somewhat of a social commentary. It's kind of current in the news, and what do we do about it? You had posted something relative to the issue of school shootings. Mm Mm-hmm. And I learned something about you then because I did not know until then that you are a survivor of a school shooting up in Kentucky. Yep. Even as ubiquitous as school shootings are these days, you're the only person in my direct field of contact who has experienced one firsthand. So I would love to hear what that was and what that was like and what it's like for you even years later to see the coverage and how how they've grown over the years. Yeah. Why, like, why is it an issue? Yeah. Why? Well, that was a dumb question. Why has it become such an issue when it seems like there's a, such a simple solution? Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's kind of always been, uh, you know, the thing in the back of my head about that is, you know, uh, why does it continue to happen? So I, I went to high school in a small town in eastern Kentucky named Grayson, Kentucky. And the the shooting occurred my senior year, January 18th of 1993. And, and by all accounts, not that I think that any of these are things to compare. It wasn't a Columbine situation. It wasn't a Lakeland situation. It, it wasn't. It wasn't like that. It wasn't Littleton or, or Sandy Hook. It, it it was, I think, far less of a dramatic event 
in terms of what the news puts on TV right. these days or what we see. However, the truth of it to me, to me and what I know to be true is that, and for people who've not been through anything like this, that they're all just as traumatic for anybody associated with it, no matter what the, the body count is. It seems like the, the news really likes to focus on that, which really just drives me up the wall. But it was just a situation of a, of a, of a guy that had moved into our school from another school and you know, uh, had, I think he struggled at his other school quite a bit, and he was extraordinarily, extraordinarily smart. We had a w- wonderful teacher who was actually my one of my drama instructors and drama sponsors. But, you know, she spoke her mind, and she, you know, I think there were probably some people that she might have rubbed the wrong way. And I think she expected a lot out of him because he was so smart. But, you know, she had given him a C on a paper or something like that, and and. He just did not like her. He was angry. He didn't, you know, was having trouble fitting in. Lots of problems at, at home, from what I understand. And basically what had happened is he uh, came into, it was the last period of the day, if I remember correctly, came into that honor, I think it was honors English, and um, he pulled the trigger and he missed her. And then he retook aim, pulled the trigger and shot her in the head. And then at some point the janitor or a, a, a young girl had tried to come into the room and he turned and pulled the gun on her and the janitor threw her out of the way and he shot the janitor and killed him. Wow. He then shut the door and then held the class of pretty much all my best friends uh, hostage for, for quite a while. But ultimately, thankfully, he let, um, he let all of them go and every kid was able to walk out of there alive and he surrendered himself. It was weird because I was, at one point, I was supposed to be in that class, but in Kentucky, you take AP classes, advanced placement classes for college credit, and I had not taken one in a science yet, so I was not in honors English. I was in uh, AP chemistry, so I was actually upstairs, which I was really thankful later that I was not in the classroom to have to to have uh, gone through that. But many of my good friends were. And, you know, the, the thing that I, I talk about is is what I get irritated with or the, these kids are marching. These kids are trying to make some sort of a change. And, you know, and then the, the media and the news says that they're paid actors, they're paid this, they're completely discrediting them along the way. There's always somebody that's renouncing what it is they're trying to do. And they lost what? What was it? Seventeen people yeah, in that I think school. So. Yeah, Se- seventeen. Many of them were running for the lives. Bullets are flying. I mean, it, it's a it's a scene out of a, a a violent movie. What they went through, and even in my little town, in 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 this situation that happened, I had friends that slept on the couch for over a year. They couldn't they couldn't be in a small room by themselves. It's traumatic. It's even 10 times more traumatic when you've been running through the hallway waiting for a bullet to hit you. And so I get angry. I I really get angry when people politicize this to the point of trying to say these kids don't have a reason to talk or that these kids don't have a valid reason to want to be there, to want to make that change. I come from Ohio and Kentucky, the land where lots of gun owners and they go hunting and they 
they do things with those guns. And I actually believe in the Second Amendment, and I, I believe in people being able to write to bear arms. But I don't think that that should uh, spill over into a weapon that the only thing it could be used for is warfare. You don't go hunt a deer with, with that kind of rifle. I just don't think there's any reason to have it. I really don't. And man, the thing that blew my mind, though, Gregory, is that I, I went back and I Googled school shootings not too long ago. And Wikipedia has a, an amazing page if you want to find it and post it in the, the notes. But it, it actually goes all the way back and lists all these incidents that happened, whether it was a gun discharged on campus or what have you. It wasn't always some sicko or some troubled person trying to do harm but it goes back to like the 1800s oh my this is is not something new people have been shot in schools for many years there was there was a shooting in nashville the the year that i moved down here in a school like in a library i think and and it doesn't ever get publicized uh the school my my school that shooting did not i mean it was publicized it was all over the nation but nobody remembers it because it wasn't too much, you know, a few years later, you had Columbine and Littleton and some of those things. And so um, it's kind of like the next one takes over and people forget. People forget that this is something that happens actually quite a lot. And that should be the disturbing thing. You, you can't put the top six on a, on a board and say this, these are tragedies because the tragedies happen all over the place and they happen all the time. One of my mentors in college was a teacher at the school from the famed lyric of the Pearl Jam song, Jeremy. He was at that school when that happened. So, um, I mean, it, it is tragic. And, and, and I tell you, it stays with me because even though I, I was never, I don't believe, at risk when the shooting happened at my school because he was really going after the teacher, but... Nobody knew what he was going to do with my friends who were in that class. And they have to live with that. They have to live with that fear. I, you know, one of my friends was writing a, a letter, a goodbye letter to her parents in class. Mm. You, you, you put that in the psyche of, of a 17, 18-year-old. And, and that's going to stay with you. It stayed with me. I remember the guy who came to the door and said, Marvin, the janitor had been shot. And we all got under our tables. I remember what that feels like. I remember what it feels like to, to somebody say, hey, the cops have the hallway barred off. You can, you guys can get out the back door. So we all ran downstairs. I remember what it looked like to be um, standing by the football field and looking back at the school and wondering who was all dead. You know, to see an FBI helicopter land, to see cars pull up and cops and other guns. You know, and everybody talks about resource officers, but they have guns, and that's still scary. That still impacts itself on the psyche of a child or a teenager. And that's what people don't understand. They don't understand that arming a teacher, I I mean, what's that do to the psyche of the teacher? What's that do to the psyche of the kids who have to see the gun? What's It's still scary. Even months and months and months and months after this happened, when we got closer to the end of the year, when we were all back in our classes and they had uh, counselors in the library every day, you're talking about somebody dropping a book in the hallway and people screaming and they start crying. That's mm. how traumatic this is. So, you know, you, you, you put into perspective of the, of the kids who did have to run through a school dodging bullets. 
you put think about that. Yeah, they should be marching on Washington. They should have a voice. They should be able to say, and they should be listened to because they will they will think about this for the rest of their lives because every January on Facebook, my friends from my school, we all still reach out to each other. So the, your your friend who wrote the goodbye letter to her parents or family, how is she today? Um I mean, I honestly only see her online through the miracle that is is miracle and scary thing that is Facebook. Um, but yeah, it, you know, it does have a few feathers in its cap. That being one of them is the connectivity. Yeah, yeah, and I and I don't think I could honestly say how she is from that perspective. But I do know that the friends that I am in constant contact to, I know that there is a dark cloud over that date and when it gets close and when it happens and when it immediately passes that there is an emotional thing that happens to every one of my friends that I'm still close to it's it just doesn't go away you know and I and I don't think it should you know I I don't think it should because the, the people who died need to be remembered and the uh, I I think that we're a nation of band aids. We, <laughs> we, we we that we, is so accurate. We we try to fix things by putting a band aid on it. Let's pass this bill. Let's pass that bill. None of them do crap. Honestly, they they don't do anything. And we're our nation is too big and it's too complex and it's too convoluted. The political system is too messed up that anything real can ever get done anymore. You know, it's it's almost going to have to go back to a we put too much trust in the federal federal government. I, I honestly think the states need to become stronger again. And so nobody gets the wrong idea. I'm not saying secede. It, that's not what it is. It's but but the states need to the states can govern the smaller body easier than than asking our federal government to do it. Federal government should work on getting us out of debt from other countries, and the state government should work on how do we want to live our lives. Agreed. And, and what laws do we need to pass, and what makes the most sense? And they can deal with that better because the congressional senators are so far removed from the small towns of Nolansville, Tennessee, or Grayson, Kentucky, that the, the, they're just too far removed. But the person who still lives in Grayson, Kentucky, and is on the state Senate, that person can be reached. So the change has to start, in my opinion, with the states. The states need to choose what they want to do. Federal government needs to stay out of it and just keep our economy strong and keep the, and keep us out of, you know, try to get our debts paid off and, and to protect our country. Right, you know, yeah, and to offer with, defense or in some ex- t- some cases exactly. an offense. Yeah. yeah, we've got to stop relying on those those guys to to do all this for us. It's it's not going to work. You know, we need stronger people in the city governments and stronger people and and I've just been so disheartened lately lately because every time I turn on the news there's some other guy as a part of a state or local city government that you know, has done something wrong and, and, and that happens. Everybody's human and, and grace abounds, but we're, we're in the need of a, of a leadership shakeup at, at every level I feel. So, you know, I mean, if, if you get down to brass tacks, I think people should have the right to, to own, own guns. I'm, I'm okay with the, the second amendment, but 
I think that there there just needs to be some guns that go away. And I think that there's lots of proof with other countries who have outlawed guns who are not experiencing many of the same problems that we're experiencing. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people can't get over is the fact that things do change. Countries grow. It's not the 14th century anymore, and it's not the 1700s anymore. We need to change with that, and we need to do now what's best for our people. Not, And sometimes the, the hard decision is maybe relooking at some of those things that were done two and three hundred years ago and and saying, does all of this apply now? My opinion. But I, I the problem is I'm a discussion guy and I just don't see that a lot of this can be discussed because we have with a two party system have completely polarized our government and our way of thinking. And I don't align with any political group anymore. No, I don't I don't either. I, I really would love a you know, I've liked some of the independents, but they just never have the plan or the following to to put them into place. But we we need a we need a third party to hold the other two parties, you know, accountable. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I've swung from one end of the spectrum to the other and back, and I'm I don't I don't want to say I'm happy in the middle because it just makes election years insanely more difficult. Because mm-hmm. I don't tow a party line. There are issues that I hold near and dear, but they don't all align with red or blue. Sometimes yeah. I'm red and blue striped. Sometimes I'm a lovely shade of purple. Oftentimes mm-hmm. I'm a lovely shade of purple. But on some issues, I'm definitely red and some I'm definitely blue. So it's like the easy way out is to tow a party line because you don't have to think because you've outsourced your thinking to someone else. Um, yeah, but I think most of those decisions are being made on nowadays are, well, I'm more like 60% this way, so I'm just going to vote that way. Right. And I, that doesn't help the the, the situation. And, and something that I, I don't remember who told me this a long, 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 long time ago, and I, I heartily believe it. And I try to use this whenever, you know, with my kids or, or argument with my wife even or a business transaction. And I've always said that there's two sides to every story and the truth lies somewhere in the middle. And I believe, and I believe that's why three is the magic number. Um, (laughs) You know, thank you, Schoolhouse Rock. But I look at the left and I look at the right and they each have a side of the story and they don't get anything done. Right. I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle. And we've got to have moderates and we've got to have people that are like, okay, you back off this, you back off this. This is what we need. This is what will get the job done. You're right here, but you're right here. You just need somebody in the middle. Until that happens, this is going to continue. This is not going to go away. Yeah, well, if if you sit on a stool that has two legs, it's not real stable. You need at least that third leg to form the tripod that mm-hmm. will actually stabilize something and keep it level. Yeah, and I think the thing that they get back to the, the 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 guns conversation, and it's not a simple issue. It's complicated. I, I understand that, and I I think that the guy that's owned all these kinds of guns that lives in Iowa that doesn't has not done a bad thing in all of his life, and and why should he be punished for everybody else? But that's it's bigger than that guy. The the issue here is that add up the amount of innocence 
when did we stop caring so much about innocence that we'd, we'd prefer to have our rights since we haven't done anything wrong, but yet leave the innocence wherever they may be or wherever they are next when they're gunned down to, to just be, you know, to left on the, the fight for themselves. It's usually kids and teachers, two of the most valued people that should be on our planet. Because if we stop having education, we stop having children, we cease to exist as a, as a race, a race of humans. Yeah. So I, I don't understand why we don't say protect them first. And, and, and the whole idea of give a teacher a gun or put more cops, it's a Band-Aid. It goes back to the whole fact that we're a Band-Aid culture. Let's yeah. find the easiest way we can make somebody happy with this. Let's make a little change instead of making a lot of change. You know, our, our, our society in general doesn't like Martin Luther King's. You know, we don't want a big change. We want just a little tiny thing here and there. Because we can stomach that. And that's where I think we go wrong. Sometimes it, it, it requires a lot bigger thing. And much like a Band-Aid, when you rip it off and throw it away, the pain goes away pretty quickly afterwards. I was discussing Martin Luther King Jr. with someone in, in recent days, and I would commented that only in recent months I read the autobiography of Martin Luther King Jr. for the first time. And I emphasize for the first time because I want people to know that I'm 47 years old. And for the first time in my life, I read the autobiography of Martin Luther King Jr., which is something that I firmly believe should be required reading for junior high on. Yeah. So the fact that 35 years after my public education, I voluntarily read the autobiography of Martin Luther King Jr. because I really, I mean, I knew of him. I knew what he did. I knew what he stood for. But I had never really read his words. I didn't know, I didn't know him. I knew of him and somewhat about him. But I didn't, I don't feel like I knew him, which is kind of the whole point of an autobiography is you get to know the person, you hear their stories mm -hmm. and their perspective. And it rocked my world, man. I'm, I'm telling you, I was like, I remember... I was halfway through this book. I was like, why is this not required reading? Or, yeah. or, or maybe it is these days. I don't know. We don't have children in junior high or higher. So perhaps it is. But why wasn't it when I was in school age? You know, and then I took it a step further and I read Coretta Scott King's biography or autobiography. One of the two. Yeah. So I got it from her perspective. And what an amazing woman she was. And then the stories that she tells, I was like, and I was so captivated by that. It really changed my perspective on a lot of things because it filled in the blanks that were lacking. Yeah. Um, the class that I took in at Belmont University when I went back to college post-touring days to, to finish my degree, and um, I took this amazing class called Faith and Doubt in Literature, and by far the most fantastic literature class I've ever taken because it, all the books and things that we wrote and we got into some autobiographies as well, but they were all stories of faith, but yet surrounded, you know, in cocoons of doubt. Yeah. Uh, which I think is just a very human way to live. Martin Luther King 
was inspirational, but there was so much anger and so much misunderstanding and so much that he had to fight with that I'm imagining the amount of, of doubt that he had about some of the things that he was doing sometimes or about where was he going to go next or how was this going to turn out? I mean, because he was human as well. Yeah. And that is, is so intriguing to me because I think we're a society that we, we like to focus on green lights and red lights, not yellow lights. And, and it's, it is that in between of knowing that I, I'm doing the right thing. I have faith that I'm doing the right thing, but I don't know how in the world I'm going to do it or if I can even do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. You know, it's, it's yeah. that kind of mentality that I think should be should be taught to our kids and in schools. And we've got to, and I don't want to make this just a complete political statement about our school systems, but I'm, I've never been a proponent of, of the standardized testing. Some kids just don't test well. And it's, it just makes sure that we're showing them the basics, but it doesn't teach them how to be adults. And it certainly doesn't teach them how to be creative people in our society. And I think that's part of our problem is we focused on that for so long. Matter of fact, C.S. Lewis wrote about it in the late 20s, uh, <laughs> about how the American educational system is an assembly line of, here's this kid, here's that kid, here's another kid, here's another kid, as opposed to working with each individual kid and be like, you know what, you suck at math. Let's maybe not have you do any more math classes. You can count to 10, that's great, but let's put you over here in this art class and let's do this and let's do that, and that kid becomes a great painter. But no, yeah. what we do is we spit out a kid who has limited time with paints and brushes, even though that's where his skill set is, because we got rid of that. And we've put out another kid that just sucks at math. Right. What's he going to do with his life at that it, point? We've homogenized humanity. It, completely. Because Henry Ford created the wonderful system of assembly line, and we have applied it to every part of our lives, unfortunately. Yeah, because that's the American way. And that's that, a good that, analogy. That has to be done. The Industrial Revolution spilled into our lives as humans, and that that is a bad thing. Um, and you know, it, it's constant when you see autistic patients or Alzheimer's patients when people feed them music or songs that they've heard to watch their neurons fire, to watch their hands stop trembling, to watch those things happen. There is music and art. There's a reason why those were originally put into our the, the spectrum of classroom teaching, because that was a balanced human that could appreciate music and learn music, even if they didn't have any talent in it, or understanding art and colors and the way they went together. It does something to the brain. It's not saying, oh, well, art's not important because you're never going to be a Picasso. Well, you don't know that. I would right. like for Picasso to be forgotten at this point and Joe from Brooklyn to be the next Picasso. Right. You know? the, or, the, or the next Joe. Or, or the next Joe, exactly. And, and, and the thing is that doesn't happen because our schools defund music programs. They defund art programs. They make them take standardized testing to make sure that they can dot an I and 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 do common core math, which I still don't understand. Um, and and I do I do understand a little bit of the the theory behind it, in, in the sense that they're following, I believe it was a Japanese method, but they're trying to retool the way that our kids think. And 
I don't totally disagree with it now that I've learned a little bit more after talking with some instructors. But I still think that we're, we're doing a huge disservice to our children by, by taking away the arts. Because as, as you and I discussed tonight on this, this podcast, that how much imprinting music does to the brain and how it, can, how it can remember and where you can go and how you can also remember a smell. It's crazy. The Arizona desert has a certain smell, and I can tell you what that is when I hear a certain <laughs> song. It's crazy. And we take the, those memory devices. We take those, and it's not even memory devices. It, it's these things change the way our brain maps information, and we just take it away. We take it away. And it, it just astounds me. It astounds me. And you know what's even scary? We're out here in Williamson County, which is 11th wealthiest county in the nation or so people are told and we still have a semblance of a music class you know and and there's still some art and that's really good but you know who they're screwing over is the inner city schools the metro schools all over the all over the country the, those schools where the funds are low those kids are forgotten already and now we're going to take away two of the greatest things could that could not only give them a way out but it can be a way of changing the way they see the world and they think through things like mathematics. You know, you, you, you take a kid and have him learn music theory and tell me that doesn't help his math skills. Oh, no kidding. Gosh, it, put a handle score in front of him. You'll see math on the page. You'll see it. And he may not even realize he's doing it, but he's smarter for it. And that's, that's what blows my mind about the way our culture sees education. And, and the fact that C.S. Lewis wrote about it in the 20s because he saw it happening then it's only gotten worse. Yeah. That brother Jack, man. <laughs> he's he's beloved for all the right reasons. A lot of what you've described on the arts side of education largely influences influenced and still influences our decision to homeschool our kids. My wife and I are both rather artistic. I often say that my artistic nature was truncated or amputated, if you will. If anybody is listening to these episodes sequentially, they've heard me say that I considered myself a musician until I moved to Nashville. When I was suddenly among a city of people who were the deep end of the talent pool. One of the reasons for that is because... Between junior high and high school, I was in a public school in central Illinois that for one reason or another, the arts was ripped out of. Yeah. So I, I actually like to call it amputated because, I mean, it was just that whole arm of development was suddenly just gone. I was first chair trumpet. I was competing in piano competitions. I was in chorus. I was doing, you know, a lot of different things musically. I was exploring instruments. At one point I could say I played five instruments. Now I can't say I play any because it's the muscle memory's gone. I've let it atrophy. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Largely because I moved to a town of actual musicians and due to the amputation of the arts out of our school uh, plus some personal choices so it's not it's not entirely systemic um i didn't i lost focus so i'm taking some responsibility for that too and i didn't really dive in headlong when i could have yeah 
but it turned a corner when all of a sudden one of my favorite teachers, my music teacher, was no longer employed by the school. And I remember being at that school board meeting that they allowed students to come to, and it was a public vote and it was right there. I was like, oh my gosh. I remember that like it was yesterday. Yeah. You know, and then there's Mr. Holland's Opus, the movie comes out. I was like, you know, just. Yeah. Yeah, that was so, so spot on. I hadn't connected that with possible causes for the downward spiral into the the abyss of school shootings that we're doing. Bullying is an obvious thing, and, and, you know, and that, that really needs to get under control as well. But I, I'm intrigued by what you have said about we've taken the, the arts and the sentimentality out of people programmed it out and re- replaced it with this Stepford Wive edition of homogeneity in our education. I think empathy is taught through the arts. Oh, agreed. Yeah. I, I think that's the, that's in a school setting or an instructor setting. That's the only place that it's taught. And we, I think struggle with empathy and I think social media for, for a lot of people, especially for, souls and hearts that have not grown yet to their full potential, I think that social media can actually be a huge detriment to the growth of empathy for children. Right. Whereas I can get on there as a guy in his 40s and see a friend who's struggling with cancer and that increases my empathy, you know, and I want to reach out to them and I want to help them. I want to, you know, say a prayer for them, what what have you. But I, I think for kids who who that part of them hasn't grown yet, which is why the bullying is too easy at that age, and especially in in social media, and we see it time and again. And then there's the com- the comparing thing because in their minds, what they see on Facebook is real. Where where I know some of my friends, I see some of their posts, and I'm like, mm, yeah, you just post funny stuff, but that's not all of who you are. Yeah, you know, kids don't understand that. And I think all these things combined are, I'm not going to say any one is the culprit, but I do think that these are things that we should consider for our children as they're getting into those ages. You know, like my eight-year-old tells me all the time, you're so lucky you have Facebook. Wow. No, no, I'm not. And you're not going to have it for a long time. Yeah. It's not a lucky thing. So, you know, getting getting that into her head that real life is not what you see on those pages. That's scary. Yeah, it's a curated life. Or it's, yeah. a, it's a fake life for a lot of it. I mean, I tell people all the time, I use it for marketing my business and marketing my personality. That's what I do to provide for my family. So it's great for that. It's also... The personal part of it is that I get to keep track with friends I went to high school with in college and right. and people that I meet from all over the world. And that that's that's a good part of it. But not for one minute, you know, does somebody need to see all these pictures of me DJing and parties and think that my whole life is that way. It's also a lot of stress and a lot of work and, you know, yeah. So it's, the kids can't process that, you know, correctly. Until they get older and they see some of the world themselves. That is very true, uh, which, which actually is another reason we have chosen to homeschool. And I bring up homeschool because it was discussed 
recently after the the Florida school shooting, uh, a colleague of mine, a friend of mine, more than a colleague, was just venting and lamenting. And he was just like, you know, what is, why am I nervous when I send my kids to school? It shouldn't be this way. You know, and he was saying all of the right things, all of the correct things, all of the accurate things for a human being to act, who actually is plugged in and feels, you know, an involved parent would think these things. Genuinely, I'm excited that this is top of mind because it's now being discussed around the social dining room table. Mm-hmm. And one of his further comments was, wow, I'm seriously thinking about pulling my kids out of school and homeschooling them. And my response was, dude, I completely hear you. And this is not the reason, but it is definitely one of many solid reasons why we have chosen to homeschool is the odds of someone coming into our school and shooting up the place are slim to none. Yeah. Because our school is our house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there, there is no bullying. And in the context of this conversation, there is arts education and there, there is, you know, we're, we're trying to teach empathy because we've got an eight year old, a five year old and an almost three year old, which is the recipe for disaster a lot mm-hmm. of times because you've got three very distinct life stages. Yeah. So the older one has to remember, you know, she she's old enough to know, to recognize what we as parents went through when we were patient with her as a three-year-old. Right. <laughs> because we have to extend that same level of patience to our current three-year-old, which is not always easy, not because of him. It's just almost three. It's just a challenging part of life. Yeah. <clears throat> so the empathy is coming into play for sure. And apparently it's sticking because I was super excited when she looked at me with those big eyes when Zac Efron's character dropped that girl's hand. And I explained to him why he was ashamed to be with her. Really? God, well, what's up with that? Yeah, it doesn't even make sense to them. And I love that. <laughs> and that's the way it ought to be. I don't know what the, the solution is to this whole school shooting thing. And there's not just going to be one solution, I don't think. I mean, there there are solutions that will carry more weight than a Band-Aid. But I, I think it is time for a revolution in that regard and not just the evolution of a Band-Aid. Yeah. And unfortunately, all anybody's ever offering is the extreme right and extreme left. Either take all the guns or pry it from my cold, dead finger. You know, right. It, or or give out more guns. Neither of those will work. They just won't. Japan and Britain and you know, England, a lot of those places have had these laws in effect for ever, really long time. So that's something they're used to living with. Our country is not. You're never going to get all the guns. But I promise you, giving out more is not going to fix the issue. Right. It, it, It is a culture where we can get anything that we want. So anybody who wants to do something bad will find a way to do it. And we live in a meme culture that oversimplifies everything. Oh, I can post this picture and put a cute phrase on it. And that's what I believe. And that's going to fix everything. It's keyboard bravado. It's just not true. We've got to stop listening to those people and start having a moderate conversation in the middle somewhere that involves empathy. 
to, to put all the things that we've discussed together tonight, you know, and I just think that we've got to give our kids something to be happy about. You know, you take the arts away. The arts is joy. The arts is happy. The arts are a way that you get the demons out. The arts are a way that you talk about yourself to, to express yourself. And when you take all that away and you leave kids with standardized tests of math and you turn English into less of a figuring out yourself by reading this book and more of, of grammar, then yeah. you're, you're, you're taking away a kid who can have empathy. You're taking, you're taking the spiritual side and I'm not talking about religion. So for those of you listening to this, it's not, you know, I'm not condoning or justifying any kind of religious conversation here. I'm saying that as humans, I believe we all have a spiritual side to us. And I think that's the part that's ailing. And by taking away the arts, you're taking away the sensitivity to that. And that's what, leaves kids feeling like they don't have anything. Mm -hmm. They don't have expression. They don't have a way to relate to the rest of the world because it's all just math. And I, I think until we overhaul the system, you know, and, and we, we, we fix some of those issues and it's, it's going to continue. I mean, like I said, look up the Wikipedia page. It's, it's shocking. It just didn't start one day, and it's not just going to stop. So we have to, we have to figure out a way to reach the kids, and I, I think a lot of that is 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 through empathy and love. It's certainly worth exploring. Can't can't go wrong pursuing either of those virtues. What do you got to lose? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. This has been a fantastic conversation. Uh, the more of these I do, the more I love the fact that I get to do these. So thank you for chatting and staying awake and staying up and sharing and Absolutely. telling your stories. Yeah, I, 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 love, I love the idea of this. And I could get into these conversations with you anytime. So if we ever want to do a you know, 2.0 somewhere down the, <laughs> you know, and jump into to any other areas, I'm, I'm in. This may be a two-parter. Because there's not a lot from the almost three hours we've been talking that I want to leave out. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a good discussion. Yes. I loved it. This has been awesome. <laughs> well, thank you, brother. Um, All right, my friend. There you have it. Part two of this two-part conversational biography with my friend Bradley Ford. Be sure to check out part one in episode 11 for the full story. If you enjoyed this conversation, there's a lot more. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll be there. Be sure to visit the show notes for this episode at www.collectedclan.com slash BradleyFord2. That's Bradley Ford with the number two. For playlists of the songs that we mentioned, a link to the history of American school shootings that Bradley mentioned, and a whole lot more. I'd love to hear from you about any specific follow-ups to this or previous conversations that you'd like to hear. Drop us a note at collectedclan at gmail.com or by voice at 615-592-5017. That number again is 615-592-5017. Your thoughts and feedback are always welcome. You're also invited to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Search for Collected Clan and we'll be there. As always, a big shout out to my friends Worldwide Groove Corporation for this episode's original music. The song is Mimosa from their album Chilodesiac Lounge Volume 1. Check out more of their music at WorldwideGrooveCorporation.com. Thanks again for listening. Now go be you.